0: We should be, the people who are out there doing it should be saying, oh, my God, all you need is a tent and a pair of running shoes and a bike or whatever, and you can go and do whatever. And it doesn't matter about first. It doesn't matter about this. It matters about how it makes you feel.
1: Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and our latest feature with Jamie Ramsey. Jamie is an endurance athlete, presenter, public speaker and brand ambassador for Cotswold Outdoor. He has completed over 43,000 kilometres of human-powered adventuring in 31 countries and has completed over 25 different adventures. Jamie is a runner, cyclist, hiker, ski tourer, paddleboarder and mountaineer. After 12 years working for an international communications agency, he wasn't happy with the direction of his life, and realised that if he didn't make some drastic changes, then things would continue to spiral downwards. His solution was to quit his job, after being promoted to partner, fly to Vancouver and run 17,000 kilometres to Buenos Aires solo and unsupported. In this episode, we go pretty deep into Jamie's past life and what motivated his fairly sudden and drastic exit from the world he knew. We go on to discuss his motivations now and how his journeys have formed the person he now is. Before we begin, I wanted to quickly mention three things. The first is that we're now on Patreon. The podcast will always remain free to listen to to ensure that it's accessible to everyone. But on Patreon we're offering a suite of additional perks and bits of bonus content, including InVision podcasts, the opportunity to sit in on live recordings from the comfort of your own home, and opportunities to feed directly into who we interview and influence the direction of the podcast. 10% of total revenue from Patreon will go to the Martin Moran Foundation, our charitable partner, which is my second point. The foundation offer opportunities for young people to get into the mountains and equip them with skills and equipment to undertake their own adventures. It's an amazing initiative and any donation you were able to make would have a huge impact. Finally, I wanted to mention our sister publication, Sidetrack Magazine. Sidetrack is an incredible quarterly journal that includes some of the most spectacular tales of adventure and exploration. If you're not a subscriber, then head to sidetrack.co.uk. Okay, over to Jamie Ramsey. Thanks very much for doing this. I think a logical, obvious place to start is if you just introduce yourself, tell me who you are and what you do, whatever that means to you
0: so i am jamie ramsey uh really pleased to be here today i am i call myself an endurance adventure athlete um and over the last eight years i've basically been building up lots of different adventures which are human powered and designed to push me to my limits and it kind of comes the the last eight years comes after 12 years of working in an office Feeling hugely unsatisfied, like just slightly dead inside towards the end of it, and just realizing I there was more to life, and sitting in an in an office wasn't where, where I was going to find it, and it was going to be out there in the adventurous world. So yeah, I'm now just a human-powered adventurer seeking to find the next adventure, which will make me, will help me develop myself.
1: Okay, that's interesting. There's lots of avenues we can travel down with all of that, but um, I think it would be really good to maybe talk about not perhaps maybe early life, but how you ended up in the world of kind of conventional office jobs. What were you like as a person, and how did you get there?
0: Yeah, I think I took a path like lots of other people. Um, I kind of there's a there's expectations in life that we put on ourselves, and sometimes people will tell us what we should be doing, or we think. That we should be doing certain things to please other people. And I think I very much went down that avenue when I, I went to school and then obviously I had to go to university. When I chose my university course, I did economics and information systems. Like the only reason I did economics was because my brother did economics and my dad worked in the city. And then I finished um work um uh, university and it was like, where do I go now? It's like, well, everyone else is going to London and getting jobs in offices. said so that's what I need to do. And I kind of just followed this course. And it's like, I need to wear a suit, I need to be working nine to five, I need to be earning money. So I just went down this, this kind of path, without really thinking where it was taking me what the motivations were other than earning money. Um, and so I just kind of fell into this place. Uh, in London, I got a job and it was like, it was a great company. I didn't have any real desire to do what they did, which was financial communications. So I just kind of found myself in London and then got caught in the rat race of society, kind of saying, right, now you've got a job, you've got to get a promotion, you've got to get a pay rise. And then it's like, and then all the things that go around that say, so you've got to get a nice flat, then you've got to get a nicer flat, then you've got to get a car, then you're Holiday, where are you holidaying this year? Well, you should be holidaying here. And it's always about more, more, more. And I just fell into this cycle of doing that. And I was like, I, I managed to do it, I think, happily for a small segment of time. Then it was less happy and then it became less happy. And then it came to a point where I was like, I can't, if the way that this is going, I can't continue doing this or it's going to end somewhere I don't want to be.
1: Yeah, and it's it's not something I can relate to because I've I've actually never had a proper job apart from being a lifeguard at Centre Parks um, when I was sixteen. But oh, it must have been kind of that law of diminishing returns, where at the start it feels incredibly exciting and you've got the money and you can do things. But I'm guessing it just kind of fizzled out and became not monotonous necessarily, but unfulfilling.
0: Yeah, it's definitely unfulfilling and, and leaving myself feeling a little bit empty, dissatisfied. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is exciting when you're like, you're going to smart restaurants and you're meeting like I met some of the most inspirational people I've ever met. While I was doing the job, I got to meet the founders of ASOS, Superdry, AO.com like these people who are all super driven and come up with ideas and have the, the bravery and the confidence to 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 make their ideas become reality. So that part was really amazing. But the, the whole kind of motor of the city is to produce money, to create wealth. And that just doesn't excite me at all. I don't care about money. Like I like to be able to pay for my uh, kind of everyday costs, but that's, I'm, I'm not thinking about the future. I'm not trying to buy something better. I just want to be happy. In the moment and that kind of philosophy of life doesn't fit into an office where everyone is working just to make money so and, and i think i didn't have the motivations of lots of people who were around me like they all had uh, big houses and they all had these um extracurricular they all were like like sailing or skiing holidays or kids and had to pay for school fees and so they had an added motivation i just didn't have so i was just sitting in this office and the, the longer i sat there And the more promotions I got, like I got made partner, and I was thirty-three, and I was like, "What am I? What am I going to do for the next thirty years of my life?" I'm I'm already at partner, Um, so the kind of motivation went. And when there's no motivation, I just had. I started looking for other ways to feel alive. And that sounds a bit dramatic, but I just felt kind of dead inside, sitting in this job. So um, I did. I did a classic thing. I think I felt I went to look for two different ways to make me feel alive. And one of them was doing sports, and one of them was partying. And those two things, like the way I say it is like, I worked out too much in the gym, and then I overhydrated too much in the pub afterwards. And these two things I started to, to do to like, a little bit to excess. And it was reaching the excesses of these things that made me realize that I was just trying to avoid the deadness of the nine to five. And that's when I realized that, you know, that's not what life is about. That's not how you should live your life. Your life should be um, about being happy. It should be about being content. It should be about growing. It should be about exploring. Um, like we're not designed, well, I, I'm not designed to sit in one place. I want to to explore what's around me. So yeah.
1: I'm guessing those two extremes that can be quite a dangerous, precarious place to be, can it?
0: It can be, and it's kind of weird because they're both the way I see adventure, and some people may not agree with this, but I see it like a bit like a drug um because you do something and you get a really good feeling from it, so you want to do something bigger, so you get another feeling and when I was doing the gym stuff, that was very similar um and it was all very positive i was doing 5k then 10k then half marathon then marathon then Ironman, swimming and but it was all very it was all very kind of organized and these are the distance this is what you're trained for and so i kind of just became obsessed about that and then going out was more like kind of uh, kind of numbing the pain a little bit so you just drink more and more and you party more and it becomes more of a, a routine and i didn't know Like bizarrely, I didn't know about adventure at this part of my life. I wasn't an adventurer in any way. I'd never done anything. Like, I had camped a bit. I'd done a few small things, but like, when I started the biggest adventure I've ever done, I'd never set my tent up on the first night. Uh, I didn't know how to use my cooking stove, and this was like the first night of a massive adventure. So, like, I literally knew nothing about adventure when I was living in 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 the world in London, and then so everything since the day i quit and entered this world of adventure where i found this it literally was like a whole new world to me where all the constraints go away all the expectations go away all the it's freedom you're free and then you have like a playground and your playground can be as small as you want it to be or as big as you want it to be you can do you you, can, you put together what you want, and you just go out and do it. And when you've reached what you aim to do, you just feel amazing. And that was the feeling I didn't have when I was working in the city. And I and I think just watching people like Sean Conway, Mark Beaumont, Ben Vogel, like going out. I can remember this having this conversation in my head. Like I'm sitting in an office, commuting every day on a tube, reading books, and watching films we didn't really have podcasts back then but like of these people doing amazing things it was like why do they get to do that and i don't why am i sitting in this place that i don't want to be and they're out there exploring this world doing this amazing stuff and then it kind of dawned on me it's because they have the courage the work ethic the commitment uh to go after it and do it and take the risk and it's by doing that that they have managed to forge a life of adventure, and I was like well i want I want to do that so and I'd love to say that I just went bang i'm I went off and did that, but it wasn't. I had to have a crisis moment which then made me like forced me to look for that different life, so I knew I knew it was in the back of my head I knew it's what i wanted to do i didn't know what it was i didn't know what a life of adventure was but i knew i wanted it and then when i had a little crisis moment i was like right this is do it now if you don't do it now then it's you you're going to lose your moment and you're going to go down a path you don't want to go down so
1: yeah and i'm <clears throat> i really want to talk to you about that crisis moment in a minute but before i do you know you said you didn't know anything about this world of adventure this is not a loaded question at all. The honest answer is what I'm looking for, but do you mean you didn't know it existed? Or do you mean you didn't know how to pitch a tent and how to use your stove? Because I think for lots of people there's this glass ceiling with adventure, and adventure is a funny word. Let's say access to the outdoors outside of London, for example, where maybe it is a bit easier than people think. Which side were you on?
0: So I'm gonna answer this question kind of with a little bit of hindsight. I, I and I still see it in in some adventurers. They what we consume as an everyday normal person, like I, I and still today, I don't do first. I don't do records. I just go out and do adventures. Um, but when you're consuming information about adventures, like other people, they will stand up on stage and they will basically tell you, "This is really difficult." this costs a lot of money, this, and they put all the barriers in place to make you feel that you can't do it so they feel special so we all look up to them and idolize them, which is the completely wrong way. We should be, the people who are out there doing it should be saying, oh my God, all you need is a tent and a pair of running shoes and a bike or whatever and you can go and do whatever and it doesn't matter about first, it doesn't matter about this, it matters about how it makes you feel. Um, And I just, I think there's that kind of, back then, it was 2014, I just felt there was like this, as you said, this barrier, but it was a barrier kind of being put in place by the people who were doing it. And I think since then, that has changed because people have become a lot more like, I'm just doing it because I want to do it and look how it makes me feel. And I don't think back then mental health was really a conversation like i know that so i started work i started supporting Palm, the male suicide charity just like after i would made the decision to go and do my adventure just because i'd never heard of male suicide being a problem and then i was like i've just had this crisis moment and luckily i have the ability and the support and the people around me and luckily i didn't get too deep um but i was able to make a change and other people don't think they can make that change so we need to promote this cause so i never had a, i've never been to a dark place but i could see it i could see how you would be there and i could see if you didn't make the changes to the way you lived your life or you didn't have the support or you didn't ask for help um and i think back then we didn't have that mental health thing so i think adventure was a bit more elitist then than it is now um yeah but uh i'm now just like Getting all excited? No, no you're absolutely right, and I
1: think you know I'm very happy to agree with you. I think it has changed, but it's it's still got a long way to go. In a way, it's that access to the outdoors, and you know, people don't need to go and cycle the length of a continent to have an adventure. But maybe that's a conversation we can have later, as those stepping stones, because you've done some incredible things.
0: Yeah, and we got, and we need to, and we need to promote people. Like it's one of the things that when I'm out or in the UK or like and i see like all these people and my my brain half of it goes oh my god look at all these people and then the other half of my brain going hey if these people weren't here what would they be doing they they'd be in the pub they'd be playing computer games they'd be doing social media like we need to promote people to get out there because it is going to help the them as and it's going to like families going out and doing an adventure together are going to come back stronger um as a unit and that's a great thing or people are going to find other people who have like-minded interests and can form a community. And that is good. So I do think we need to, try, yeah, we all know we need to promote people to get out there, but it's how we do it responsibly. But
1: yeah, and we'll definitely come on to that. I think it is important if you're happy to talk about it, you know, what was that crisis moment and what began the transition? Yeah. How did you undertake it?
0: Yeah, no. So it was just one of those, i have been going through a time of just I was just feeling very unhappy with what I was doing, but I was also trying very hard to have this external like, look at me, I've just been made partner, and da 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 da, da. Um, So you're kind of living a double life, and you're kind of just, and then you, you realise that when you're not happy with what you're doing, your performance drops, and you are not you are not working as hard as you want to be working, and then you try and find ways. And my way was going out drinking, and I remember it was a Wednesday night, November two thousand and thirteen um we'd all that me and my two best mates um i'd been out drinking we came out of a club it was three o'clock in the morning or something and i was like do i go home to fulham and then go to the city in the morning or do i just go straight to the city and i was like that's, like, that's a genius idea which you would think drunk at three o'clock in the morning so i went straight to work and literally made a little bed in the shower room at work and slept on the floor and then Kind of woke up the next morning at seven o'clock because I wanted to be up before everyone got to work, so no one knew I'd slept in the office. And kind of, and it's one of those. Literally pulled myself up on the other uh, thing and looked in my mirror, uh, in the mirror, and just thought, "Oh my God, this is not the behavior of a normal human being. Like someone, this is not someone who's happy." Um, and it really, and I, I said this before, but I remember walking out and one of my friends walked past me and she said she looked at me. and She said, "There was something different in your eye that day." And I went and I sat at my desk. I was 34 and I was looking around, just being made partner. And I was like, I don't want to be any of these people. None of these people inspire me. I don't sit here reading books about financial um, communications people and how like, read interviews with them. I read interviews about other people. I don't want to be these people. I don't want to be in this world. I don't want to be, I don't even like cities. Why am I here? Like, so As I like, I at that point, I thought back to, like, when was the last time that you can honestly remember being happy, content, um, satisfied? What's the last time? It came, really comes down to, when was the last time you liked yourself? And that was at the end of a little run that I'd done. that was 240 kilometers through kind of vietnam and i remember the feeling i'd never done anything like that before and i'd got so many things wrong but i got to the end of it and i thought ah i'm happy i was sitting there with a beer in this little place thinking you just did it and i was like i want to recreate that feeling again and again and again and again so
1: but i think that is a really really critical point because you didn't just quit your job and then Jump into this world of adventure, expeditions, exploration, whatever you want to call it. And in a really positive way, you had, whether you'd planned it or not, you had already experienced something, hadn't you, that made you feel like this was a thing you wanted to do or could do. Where did the spark come from to run to go to Vietnam? Cause that's quite a
0: big challenge. It is quite a big challenge, but it wasn't a big, so it wasn't a conscious decision. It was a forced decision, which I look back on now. And it's amazing because I was doing, as I was saying earlier, I did the 5K, 10K, bloody blow. And I kept I kept wanting to get bigger and bigger and bigger because it just, I suppose when you kind of say, oh my God, I can't run a marathon. And then you run a marathon, you're like, wow, like what can I do next? So I'm like, could I run a marathon in the safari park? So I did that. And like, could I do a half Ironman? And I did it. It's like, well, I'm I there's more, I can do more so i found this race called the jungle marathon which was 240 kilometers um uh you know, like self-supported through the jungle vietnam and i was like this is this is the next step it's a race there's there's organizers there's people it's all going to be very very controlled um so I, I booked my ticket i did my training i started raising money most importantly i told everyone i was going to do it so it became this thing i had to do um and then a month before an email went around saying the organizer's ill and the event's been canceled. I was like, what? I have a ticket to Vietnam. And so I wrote to them. They said, well, we can get you into the Gobi March. And I was like, it's going to be 2,000 quid to get. Like, i got to have to sack in these tickets, then pay another. It's like, I can't do that. So I kind of got a bit dejected about the whole thing. I was like, all right, okay. And then I just suddenly went, no, I'm going to do it. Like, I have paid. I paid the ticket. I've done the training. I'm raising money. People have given me money. I'm just going to go to Vietnam and run 240 kilometers by myself. And I, had, I really didn't think about it. So I'd also booked a holiday <laughs> at the end of the 240 kilometers. So I was going to. So then when I was packing my running backpack to run the 240, I then had to add all the stuff for the holiday in as well. So I was like running with a full suitcase on my back. And I just, I'd never done anything like this before. And I just flew to Da Nang went to a hotel, woke up the next morning, and said it was six days, 240 kilometers. So I'm going to do six days, 240 kilometers. And I just started running, like literally Forrest Gump style. Just I had no idea where I was going, just ran down this road. And and, and what it taught me was, one, you don't need to have any skills. Secondly, there is a world out there that you have no idea what it's like. And the only way you're going to see it is if you go and see it, like you can go on organized tours and you'll see the things they want you to see, or you just go out there by yourself and you see everything. And the good, the bad, the ugly, the marvelous. And and it just, every day, like I, my backpack was rubbing so bad. I had like sores all over my back. I had white um, Lycra shorts that at the end of the day were soaked in blood, which I would have to squeeze out. From chafing because it was like it was ridiculously hot and humid, but every day I was like, "It's so I'm enjoying myself," and like, and I got to the end of it, and the, like over the the course of the six days, that feeling just got bigger and bigger, and like, and when I got to the end, it was amazing. And then I went back to work, um, so uh, it was it was the kind of being forced into a position and making the right decision. Because I could have said no, I'm done. I'm just going to go on holiday to Vietnam for two weeks, but I didn't. I was like, I said I'm going to do this thing. I know I can do it. I'm going to go and do it, and it proved something to me. And it was in that proving something to me that then gives me the kind of the belief to go on and do something else. So you can then you like you just believe in yourself, which is a lovely feeling. Yeah,
1: and I just. It's so interesting that I just wonder what has happened. You know, it's that butterfly effect of if the race had gone ahead, maybe your life wouldn't have gone the way it's gone. Maybe it would have. But it almost feels like, you can obviously disagree with me, it feels like them stripping away the organized kind of ring-fenced, here's your path, don't deviate from it, is maybe what gave you something different. Maybe that word, adventure, you know, came from that.
0: I, I I I do believe. Yeah, I think that's completely right. If I if it had stayed contained, I think I would have stayed contained. I would have stayed within the, the the fence of society, and yeah, that little quirk of fate released me, and then I got pulled back in, and I'm disappointed I got pulled back in, but the being pulled back in, I think allowed this little seed of discontent inside me just to like grow and then when then it burst and like most people when they go on an adventure to choose something small my reaction was to go epic and and that's just i don't know i never give myself credit for, i never give myself credit for anything i'm quite hard on myself but i kind of now what we're talking about it's kind of nice it's kind of like they're, they're, they are good qualities in me that were coming out of a bad place. And so I'm actually, when, I probably will talk about this later, but I see myself as like this coal power station, that all the negativity inside me, all the doubt and all the, that I don't like myself and I don't think I'm good enough. I use that and then turn it into a positive adventure and like gives me the power to push myself in through pain and all this kind of stuff. On an adventure and it ends up being this wonderful feeling of happiness. Um so
1: Yeah, I mean, we definitely will talk about that. But <laughs> but um when you came back from Vietnam, you know, what was life like for you? What were you like? And how long was it before you moved on? And and how did you plant those seeds to move on?
0: So I think I'm trying to remember, I think the race was in like June or something. I came back. And just slotted straight back in to society, like to my life, and just did the exact. I went on S, uh, STV and handed a check to Lorraine Kelly, which was pretty awesome because um, that was that was who I raised the money for. It was the uh, STV appeal up in Scotland for homeless people, and then I went back to work and I just did my work. Then I had the moment in the bathroom, and then again, I'd love to say that I had that moment, and then I courageously quit my job. I didn't. I like. I think it was April, by the time I actually quit. And I really wanted to quit in fashion. But actually, I sat at my desk every day just looking up stuff on the internet about adventuring and all this kind of stuff. And I think like I started lit- reading more books like Ben Fogel, The Crossing. I like uh, watching TV shows about adventure. And this thing was growing inside me because I'd made this decision that I was going to quit my job. I was going to go and do an adventure. And I was trying to work out what it was. So Sitting at my desk the whole time, coming up with the plan, and I and I arrived at it. I knew what I was going to go and do, but I still didn't have the courage to quit my job. Um, and uh, I talk about success markers. One of my success markers was you know quitting your job, but my boss actually beat me to it because he just kind of came up over to my desk one day and said, um, Can we just pop into a room? It's like, Yeah, yeah. So we went off to the room, he was like, there's something wrong, you're not normal. There's something. And I just looked at him and went, I'm gonna quit my job. And he was like, "Oh okay, okay, uh, where are you going? Like, are you going to another firm? And you could see him worried, like, cause in that world, it's all like clients and all this kind of stuff. And I just went, no, I'm gonna go and run the length of the Americas. And he just looked at me and was like, what? and he was like, he had no idea that that's where my brain was going. And then he called in the other partner and we sat there and they just, immediately, they started trying to help me um, facilitate that move. Um, But I had to stay, I had to stay working until the end of July or something. Um, And then I literally, I finished my job on the 28th of July and on the 14th of August, I started my adventure. And just between the day I quit and that, I did the work I was meant to be doing. And then I just started... I was like, because I watched all these videos about like uh, how, much, how difficult it was to do an adventure. I was like, I've got all this stuff to do. And then I realized that, no, I really didn't. I had to buy a ticket to, to America, uh, to Canada. I had to get a baby stroller and fill it with some camping stuff. And that was basically all I had to do. It was nothing else. So I was like, yeah, just sitting there going, I need to get going. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. And yeah, I mean, I, went. I keep, I
1: keep- this in this conversation but I don't normally phrase it like this but it's so amazing that you it's just the serendipity of it or the way it planned uh, played out where you didn't consciously walk into the room and say I'm going to quit my job you know have your breakfast that morning and pluck up the courage it was almost not forced upon you but it was an intervention that led you to say that out loud I mean had you said that out loud before did you know that was definitely what you were going to go and do the running americas
0: right so I I knew at that point. So I I sat there thinking, what am I going to do? I've, I, I'm going to quit my job. To quit my job, I have to do something that's big. It needs to at least be a year. What's my passion? It's running, traveling, culture, that kind of stuff. Okay, how far can I run a day? I think I said 30 kilometers. Time's up by 365 it's 11,000 kilometers. Then I started looking like, I'm going to run around the world. And then I was quickly like, oh, that's way too difficult. Um, there's lots of war zones. I don't have the money. I don't have the experience, the expertise. I want to do this alone. I don't want any support team back home, nothing. This is just me. So then I looked at, like, I loved you and McGregor and Charlie Borman on their motorbikes. So I did, like, let's go from John Groats to Let- as a Cape Town. And then I was like, no, wait, lots of dangerous places on that trip. And then I found uh, Vancouver to Buenos Aires. And I liked it because everyone else did. Pat- um from alaska to Ushuaia. and i was like no that's like trying to do a, a, a set route um i don't i don't want this to be anything more than just my adventure so i thought va to ba sounded like a good place to go two great cities um british passport gets you through every part, uh, country only two languages um so it was like the easy route it was like i just looked at them and well that's going to be easy so compared to compared to going around the world and then yeah. So I didn't, I started potentially planning a little bit in my head and then realized that that's not an adventure if you plan it. So I literally did not. When I was standing on the first day with a baby stroller looking ridiculous in the middle of Vancouver, I had no idea how far I was going to run, where I was going to camp. I didn't have any fuel for my stove, nothing. I was just, an adventure is something that unfolds in front of you and you have no control over it and don't try and control it. The only thing I was going to try and control was like, and, and someone told me this recently that like I was like trying to do five days running, two days off, which was basically like having a job. Um, and th- there are there are complications with that approach. But apart from that, I just wanted to go on an adventure and everything. I think from that moment to now, having done fifty thousand kilometers of human powered traveling, now being like an ambassador for Cotswold Outdoor, everything, including that has all been being in the right place at the right time and doing the right and doing things with the right mentality and purpose and i just touch wood it continues like that but
1: and at that point of transition i mean you touched earlier on you know how you found yourself in the city and doing that job How did your and and I think it's incredible that um, your boss and bosses reacted the way that they did and actually looked to support you to undertake that journey. I mean, maybe they thought you'd come back afterwards or whatever it was. It's still amazing that they did that. But how did your friends, family react to it all?
0: So let's say this. This is like my my mechanism is: I will go up and tell the most random stranger that I'm going to like run the length of the Americas. Engage what they say. And then I will move to a work colleague and then gauge what they say. Then I'll start telling friends. And that, and then I move to my brothers and sisters. And then I move to my parents. And so there's like this kind of like trickle effect of like getting feedback from people. And by the time I got to like my friends, like I was in my head thinking you're in, you're insane. And people would turn around like friends and go, yep, that sounds like something you could do. And like, why do you? You believe I can do this even when I don't believe in it myself. So suddenly you get this kind of stuff. And then it, it got to the point where I had to write my dad an email, which sounds very formal. Um, but I wrote my dad an email, kind of not asking permission, but kind of letting him know that this was my intention. And he spent like 36 hours to get back to me. And uh he like I was like so worried about what his reaction would be, because obviously he's given me everything I need in life. I come from a like, I come from a very happy family where we all get on. There's never been any hardship. Um, and there's me going, I want to give up all this comfort to be uncomfortable. And his uh, reply was, you've got to do what you've got to do. That was it. And it was like, green light, let's go, right? We, There's no one standing in my way. And I remember one of the videos, I went to the pub with my best friend, and he played me the Alan Watts video, which is, what would you do if money was no object? And we we're just sitting in the pub. And that that kind of extra push from a friend saying, look, get out of this world. Go do what you want to do. Go, go. If adventure is where you're going to be happy, go and do it. And we all believe you and we'll support you. So
1: Yeah.
0: That's an amazing video that people should watch if they haven't seen it, by the way. <laughs> but um did I, I, I keep watching it. Yeah. Um I have his book just
1: up there, which I've just bought. Never read it. Um did you know is I mean, I, we, I don't want to get into the personal therapy side of it because it's probably not fair, and this isn't that show, but um, did you speak to him outside of the email exchange before you went? Like did he understand?
0: I think he did. i I, I actually no, that was a really important conversation I had with him because we I don't know how I don't know if it was in an email or, or in person conversation, but I basically said to him like, I've everything I've done up to this point is because it's what you've told me to do. And my dad turned around and said, I have never told you to do any of that. This is you thinking that that's what I would tell you to do. That's the only thing that's gone on here. And I sat there and I kind of rewind my brain. I was like, that's completely true. He's never told me to do any of this stuff. And what's interesting is that me and my dad didn't really like we've always gone on. We didn't really chat that much when well, I did my adventure, he built my, the website for me, put all the distances every single day, tracked me, we spoke, I've never spoken to my parents as much as I did on that adventure. It was crazy, because WhatsApp had just started. Like, I was like, I remember having conversations in deserts and stuff, like trying to run across a desert in the would ring. And then literally like a child going, be, be, be adventurer. And like, kind of like, just in these like crazy places with mom and dad, like, are you all right? It's like yes, I'm fine. Just I mean, so um, yeah, me and my dad became a lot. I, like I've always I'm a mummy's boy, but me and my dad came a lot closer, and yeah, all positive stuff. So,
1: but it's really it's it's super interesting, just that you know, and it was what I was gunning for. Really, is that kind of familial societal pressure, where actually it's almost like we impose it on ourselves rather than it really being imposed on us by others. And I think a lot of us
0: have that and can resonate with that but what we don't what we need to realize is that people who are close to us and love us only want us to be happy that's all we want and sometimes they have a notion of what that happiness should look like but the the, the actual end result is they just want you to be happy ha- healthy and happy um people and very few people want their children just to be rich and to burn themselves out to be rich and drive a nice car that's they don't, that's not going to make them happy.
1: So, and if that is the case, I'd probably seek out the role models. <laughs> um, um, so, tell me about the baby stroller.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, when I started thinking about oh, I'm going to run the length of the America's, I was like, um, how am I going to get my kit with me? Like, because at that point, I had no idea what I needed to pack. So, I was kind of just looking up the videos. And I found the video of Jamie McDonald running across Canada. And he had a big backpack, and I was thinking, that guy's an idiot. But that was exactly what I was thinking about doing. But I was like, look, watching him doing God, that just does not work. And then someone gave him a stroller, and he started pushing a stroller. And I was like, that makes sense. I'm going to do the same. So I wrote to Thule in Canada or Sweden or wherever they are, Sweden, and said, I'm about to do this thing. Would you give me a baby stroller? And they just sent me everything. And I remember... I, I trained with it once or twice around Hyde Park and everyone just thinking like I was dashing across streets and everyone was like looking at me he's like guy oh, is insane with a child and blah 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 so I actually had to make a little poster which I stuck on my stroller that said baby not on board um, <laughs> just so people didn't think I was uh, completely insane but yeah so I just got the, the, the baby stroller and then I just started filling it with like I need a stove like now you would take like a tiny little I'd take like an MSR pocket rocket Thing which is tiny, but then I had a trangia, like a massive trangia stove, which I had to push. I took laptops. I took a super dry hoodie. I took so much crap that, I, which is why I love what I do now, because I can now I'm in a position where I can tell people like, don't make the same mistakes I did, because I made it really difficult for myself, and I wasted a lot of money on stuff I didn't need, which now I can tell people like. Make the right decisions, invest in what you're going to do. But back then, that was not an option. I was just I was just filling. It was there to be filled, so I filled it. And then I worked and I could strap stuff on top. And then I, I, t- I ran. So when I got to Oregon, I went to a yoga studio. I bought a yoga mat and then carried that yoga mat all the way to Buenos Aires. Why? Why did I need a yoga mat? It doesn't make any sense. I still have the yoga mat and I won't, I love it, but just insane things. Anyway. It is,
1: it's just, you know, because you do imagine kind of this little running pack and you think, well, you'll stop off in the supermarkets and pick up some food and carry the absolute bare minimum. It's just, it's a very funny image, this idea of this grown man running down an entire, well, couple of continents with a baby stroller full of stuff.
0: I knew I was crazy because every time I'd stop. At the end of the day i'd be like unpack the whole thing and go "Right, what can i get rid of and then because maybe my scottish upbringing i'm like well i can't throw anything away and if anyone gives me anything i have to heap it i was in i was in guatemala i ran past a guy with his wife and kids he said what are you doing i told him what i was doing he said wait there he ran into his house and came out with a wooden coin about 30 centimeters across about an inch deep round coin um the carving thing gave it to me i then ran all the way to panama city with it because <laughs> i felt like i should keep this thing that this man had just given me and it now hangs above my fireplace but i i just take on stuff i oh god i do adventures so differently now
1: but that's um it's almost like the initiation isn't it you know anybody who does any form of challenge whether it's small or big or anything in between You go through that learning process, and isn't that an important part of it? It would be dry and sedentary without those experiences.
0: It would. And it's it's nice to see the progression from where you started. Bizarrely, I did not know at that point that adventure was going to be my life. Like, if you told me when I started running in the Americas that I would still be adventuring eight years later and doing it as a professional, sponsored with amazing companies, doing amazing things, like, I would have told you no. So if, to me, it wasn't. I was just doing this thing, and that was going to be it. But uh, yeah.
1: So I think it's probably important to talk about that journey. Um, you know, you, you've said where you started, but what was it actually like day in, day out? Where did you go?
0: What did you do? And what happened? Um, oh, it's really difficult. So it was. It was basically a journey of discovery through beautiful places. And the discovery was not it was mostly about myself, which sounds very selfish. But you basically start I started off a journey as someone with a belief that I could do something with a whole bunch of people telling me I couldn't do it. And not my friends and family, but like people outside. People like going, What are you gonna do? Like, oh that's 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 not possible. You can't do that. It's like why can't I do that? Like why are you telling me these things? And then I went on this journey. From a guy who knew nothing to was doing stuff I could only dream about by the end of it, overcoming obstacles, like insane obstacles, and meeting the kindest people and seeing the planet change as I went and like the environment and how people live and what's important to people. And it was just, it was the best journey I've ever done. And it's because I was alone. Vulnerable. And so I was able to, and I was able to ask for help and get help from people along the way. Um, So, yeah, you just kind of learn a lot about yourself. A lot about, I've done 50,000 kilometers now of a human-found adventure. And I don't think I've had a negative interaction with a human being, which I think is the most incredible thing. Yeah. I've had nothing but love, support, and from people with nothing trying to help you. Just because they see you as a vulnerable person because you're by yourself running. And that is just, if that's the, what I end up taking away from all my adventuring, that is the, the most beautiful thing yeah. of just how wonderful human beings are.
1: And that is a recurring theme throughout this podcast, actually, which is always so heartwarming is that, that you know, with, with obvious exceptions like conflict zones, that tends to happen everywhere. Um, and I think it's really interesting with you because you, you know, you talk about it being selfish, whatever, it's not selfish, it's a journey of self, which I think is incredibly important. And we should protect that idea of adventure for adventure's sake. But, you know, you've quit your job, you're running the length of the Americas. You get out there, you just take that first step with your stroller and you start going. Was it a wholly positive experience? And, you know, were you just kind of running along thinking, yay, I'm free? I hate this term, but I've quit the rat race? Or, did you have any self-doubt or any self-loathing or any fear?
0: Oh, that's well, I know that on day four, I pushed myself so hard that I got plantar fasciitis. i was sitting there going, you idiot. Why didn't you start slowly? Now you've rented out your flat, you quit your job, and you can't run. Uh, but luckily, I managed to get over that. A lot of people have asked about, did I think I'd fail? which is, I think, there's been so many podcasts of, where we've now realized that failure is a good thing. And if we're not failing, we're not pushing. And if we're not pushing, we're not growing. But it is really, like, I quite honestly can say I there was not a single day on that run where I thought I wouldn't get to the end. Like, I knew I was going to get to the end because I got it into my head that every day was a training day for the day after. And if you get, and it was, was because on the first day, I ran 45 kilometers, I'd never set my tent up, I set fire to a park, because I bought the wrong fuel for my stove, some people had come, they'd given me some water to replenish the water I'd used to put the fire out on my flip flop, which I'd used to, like, it was a disaster. And I couldn't, I ate like half cooked pasta that night, because I couldn't cook anything. But I got to the end of that first day, and I went, right, I've just got to do this 600 more times, and I'm done. And that's kind of then I kind of felt right. What are all the what are the obstacles along this journey? And it sounds flippant now, but it was like I've got to get uh, I've got to get through Mexico, which is going to be a bit dangerous. I've got to get around the Darien Gap. I've got to run across Ecuador, which is really high. I've got to run the Satura Desert, the Atacama Desert, and over the Andes. So every single day from now, what can you learn that will help you overcome those obstacles? And then that as long as you just approach it, that it's not about today, it's about tomorrow, then you stop worrying about today, you just think about tomorrow, and you think about how you can make tomorrow easier, and then they become a really positive. So if my adventuring since then has always been, I'll always have two adventures planned. So the adventure I'm on is nothing more than a training exercise for the next one. So I know that my next adventure, which is running, is 700, 750 kilometers solo run that's just training for what I'm doing next year. Like I already know that's how it works. And that was what I learned from the adventure. It was like, don't think about the now. I know we should all be in the moment, but learn, use today to learn for tomorrow is the kind of way I think about it. Yeah. So what can I do? What, what can today give me that'll help tomorrow be easier? And bigger.
1: Because right, I you know, I have my question sort of loaded up in my brain and then you touched on it. And it, I'm not being deliberately difficult when I say this and I ask it with kindness, but do you struggle to live in the moment if that's your attitude? And 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 are you content if you're always pushing and always thinking about what's next?
0: It's we're all different human beings. We all have different ways of feeling. And like I've had failed not failed, this is ridiculous how I look at myself. So I would see running across Iceland, I did like 12 days, ran across the length of Iceland. But I kind of partnered up with someone else, which meant I couldn't do it the way I wanted. So I think I kind of failed on that adventure. But the reason I think I failed is because running 50 kilometers is easy. It's the 50 to 60 to 70 to 80 in really hard conditions. Oh, my God, that's so satisfying. And the feeling you get from doing it is amazing. So, like, I do the 50K so I can get to the hard bit. I like the hard bit. I like the pain. I like the difficulty. Because I don't know maybe because I've had a really blessed life that actually I like putting myself in a position where I feel alive. And by feeling you just you're you overcoming stuff, you're you're beating the odds, you're all the work you've put in is delivered to this one moment and then you just feel this massive relief release. And but I can still you took it up to a mountain now. Put a pair of running shoes on me and I ran, I would have the biggest smile on my face the whole way down. I'd be in that moment. I'd have my arms out like I'm an aeroplane flying down the hill. Like I truly enjoy that moment. But I also truly enjoy building myself towards something bigger. So it's all about enjoyment.
1: Yeah. And again, no wrong answer to this. I'm curious. And as you say, everyone's different. But I think for some people, it's like building to always get something bigger, longer, higher, faster. Is that true of you, or are you just wanting to get outside for long periods of time on your own and do the thing you love?
0: Uh, luckily, I can't do that because I've run seventeen thousand kilometers. I ain't going to do that again. Um, so all my other adventures, I, I learned quite quickly that it's not just about it's not about hitting a milestone or like some people love that, like they love having their name and against book of records, so they love being the the first person who's done something. I'm like. When I'm choosing my adventures, I'm like, what is this adventure going to teach me? How am I going to grow as a person? How am I going to add to my kind of my armory armor of like, so climbing Aconcagua, I'm scared of heights, never climbed a mountain before. So I went and did Aconcagua, first mountain. Amazing. like just felt awesome. Um, I'd never done cycle touring. So I went and cycled across South America. Um and the enjoyment is becoming is overcoming the unknown rather than the distance or like I love distance. I, I used to be in PR, so I always say kilometers because it's a bigger number. Um, but actually it's not. It's 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 the overcoming the unknown and going to beautiful places and and being able to share those beautiful things. I like I, I hate talking, but I love talking. Um so when I stand up on a stage, I get really really nervous and then when i'm up and i see people seeing the pictures of the places i'm being i'm like hoping that they're going to go and that one of one of them will go and do what i've done or something like i've done i feel like this massive purpose so it's all like it's not about bigger better it used to be but now it's just about enjoying the adventures and
1: how much for you is it about the natural world versus self challenge again again, no wrong answer I'm curious
0: um, so the the running and the, the kind of the doing the physical part of it is huge, but being in nature is the most important for me It's being in wild places and being in wild places that are beautiful and they kind of they give you 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 feel yourself regenerating when you're in these places and you know i've i i like in the uk you see all these people going out and you're kind of like it's that real thing like everyone's going out and we're all camping and hiking these routes and we're, people are setting fires and places and like we're ruining this beautiful place which is where we go to have therapy um which not being too PR-y, but the the kind of the thing with Cotswold Outdoor about save our outdoors, it's like we've got to keep these places beautiful because they are important to our mental health. And, you know, I love working with people like Trash Free Trails who go out there and they're encouraging people to go out but take a bin bag with them and pick up litter. And, like, that's a really important. So I think the older I'm getting, it's becoming less about push like less about the distances and the stuff that will never go away i will keep pushing myself but my ability is going to probably drop off that now it's about going out and being more immersive in wilderness like wild swimming like walking up a mountain and going for a a swim in a lake and then a camp and coming back that's lovely and i I actually I i have to tell myself to do that more um because when you do big adventures, you just go from big adventure to big adventure. And somehow you forget to do the little adventures. And the little adventures are the fun ones. Um, and they're like, you can get out there. And yeah. So I kind of keep telling people, go and do a little camping trip. And i like, turn around and say, don't you go and do a little camping trip. Um, so yeah, it's almost like I got a little lost there somewhere. No, no, it's great. And it, it's almost
1: like that. I don't know. This is probably a silly expression, but you know, you've got your little test tube of kind of adventure or wilderness or outdoor enjoyment or indulgence that I think we all need and crave, whether we know it or not, and it's just topping it up a little bit at a time. And maybe just you know going camping in the Cotswolds is enough to top it up twenty percent. But you know, you-
0: oh, like do, I, I did, a, I did a trip around the UK last year, and it was wonderful because the whole premise of the trip was go and discover new places, because but like everyone's like, oh, I'm going to go and do Mount Snowdon, or I'm going to go and do Ben Nevis, or I'm going to go to this place. And it's like, but there's all these other places, which no one goes to, and they're amazing. And like, so I kind of like places in Wales, I love Wales, and I love the Snowdonia National Park. It's brilliant. But like, right next door, there's all these other little lakes and old mining towns. And going up to Scotland, where there's just nothing in places like that i think it's really i love trying to find new places to tell people to go and go and try these places and um but it's it's really interesting
1: it's almost that kind of it's not quite a paradox but we we travel into these places we fall in love with them and then we realize we need to protect them eventually that's the natural kind of journey that we go through i definitely experienced that and it sounds like you have you know you were really honest about i accidentally set fire to a park I assume it wasn't a big fire, but you know, you did that, you had that experience, you learned from it. And hopefully not everybody has to go and accidentally do that in order to realise that this is a very fragile place and entropy is real and it's much harder to fix something than it is to break it.
0: But... And one of the things that's really is the knowledge of how to be responsible in nature is not something we just have in our minds. We need to be taught it and we need people to teach us it. Like... I now, I don't have fires when I go on adventures. I just don't do it because I didn't know that apart from just leaving an ugly mark, actually it's killing all the soil underneath. And when you kill the soil, you're damaging the ecosystem and that kind of stuff. I didn't know, like, even just in the, the kind of, from Cotswold Outdoor, working with them on the Save Our Outdoors campaign, I didn't know about dog, like we see dogs as just dogs but to nature, they're predators. And that, that's causing an adverse effect on the people around. You don't know these things. You have to be taught them, and you need to read about them. And they need to be, like, wild camping is amazing if you're doing it responsibly, if you're doing it in the right places, if you asking people, like, I listened to your talk with Leo Wilcox, and she was like, I'm not just going to go and camp on someone's land. I'm going to ask them if I can camp on their land because that's the responsible thing to do. And I think we need, and like during, like was it after lockdown or something when everyone was doing staycations and you saw this horrendous and I know there are just a few instances of like people leaving tents and fires and disused, uh, like disposable barbecues. I know that that's just like the media shots but there are people going out there not knowing how to and like I love doing litter picks. I find it cathartic but like the stuff i picked up on penafan just beer cans coffee cups all this kind of stuff like we need to teach people and those green bags that people put dog poo in like why are they green why are we disguising why are we making the bag something that can camouflage into nature make it bright pink people are not going to throw a bright pink bag on the ground but um but that's all education. Um, also, so so we just need to
1: i mean i have a dog i go running with her every day but why bag it if you're just going to throw it in a head shit? it's one thing i've never ever understood i think you'd just leave it maybe no. that sort of person but um no you're yeah
0: well. flick, flick it flick it yeah
1: it, it it's it, it almost you know i i talk about this stuff a lot and think about it a lot and feel it really passionately it's about and and there's the right to row movement in the UK, you know, what access we actually have. I think it's 8% of land we're allowed to walk on and 3% of our rivers, which is outrageous. And that's a whole different conversation that we have had on this show before. But it's how we in, interact with this landscape in a way that isn't going to damage it too much. And, you know, you look at Snowden, you look at Ben Nevis, et cetera, those are degraded landscapes as a result of human involvement. But like you say, I mean, just, you know, within three square miles or five square miles of those places are other mountains other places that don't see the human traffic that are just as special and you know i'm on a bit of a rant and a ramble but it's also that transition from kind of user and accidental abuser to steward and guardian you know you said you love litter picks well and you almost said it as if like that's a crazy thing the, the profound effect it has on your sanity as somebody who is protecting this landscape rather than degrading it is is unbelievably positive and, and I, I personally feel it like amplifies the experience of those outdoor places tenfold, feeling like you 're a custodian or a steward of that landscape
0: yeah like, like what we, what everyone kind of says is like you should take your litter with you i 'm like take other people 's litter with you, leave it more beautiful than you found it um, and it does come to people like trash free trails who organize these kind of flash mob picking up litter, it does come to, and this is why I love working with Cotswold Outdoor, is because they are taking the responsibility, they're trying to educate people, and you have, to, you need these big companies, these big brands, these organizations to teach people to become like the, the benefits of why we're doing it, but also that it makes us feel good, and it's like part of who we, like the more we do it, the better we feel, the better the land is, and we can see people, like with this sewage surface thing, like, when people are given the knowledge, the tools, to go, and the structure to be custodians of our land, they want to do it. It's just they need people, they need people just to push them a little bit. And you know, that's the job of everyone with a voice, is to try and help people, not tell them to do it, help them to do it. Yeah. So
1: And, and again, I'm, I'm on a bit of a ramble here, and we're on a tangent, but it's almost like I used to get really, really grumpy when I saw litter in the natural world, or I saw somebody throw an ice cream wrapper on Stanage Edge and I confronted them about it. I wasn't aggressive, but I, was, I wasn't, you know, kind. And I regret how I spoke to that person, really deeply regret it, actually. And it kind of taught me afterwards, is it their fault that they don't know that they shouldn't do that? And you're, you're totally right. It's education. And I thought, well, you know, this person I think has been brought up in a city They've come out of lockdown. They've quite fancied a wander in the Peak District. They've gone to the first car park and they just probably do what lots of people, some people do in cities, they see the litter, so they drop the litter. And it's it's almost cultural. We just have to change it and and alter it. And I don't know, maybe you've got some good answers for just, I don't want to turn this into a how-to as such, but most people who listen to this are outdoor users. They are compassionate outdoor users, but like you say about starting fires, you know, killing off the mycelium network underneath the ground, things like that. What are the quick things for you that are like the instant changes we can make to the way we use the outdoors?
0: It it's basically comes down to common sense. Like it is like if there's a trail, follow the trail. If land looks like it's being like, and, al- and also if everyone's going to one place, it's going to get tired. We've seen the damage that's done. Go to somewhere new, but learn from the damage that's been made somewhere else. So we do it responsibly. Um, it's basically leave the environments we're in better than when we arrive. Um when you're gonna when you're camping, like the things I do is remove as much of the litter from your food before you take it. So like you're not having to um Carry it back with you, like tea bags, take them out of the little bags and just put them into your backpack. Um, and then, like, have a Ziploc bag in your pocket. You know, we all need to go to the loo occasionally. And I get told off for of this. Like, I like, I bring my loo roll back with me, no matter what. I have two Ziploc bags, one inside the other. One's dirty, one's clean. Put them all, it fits in my pocket. And I come home and I just put it in the loo and it's done. Um, and people are, oh, you can dig holes. You can dig holes, but people aren't so just just take it out with you and then there's no confusion um and you know uh don't like people cut down trees to start fires and all this kind of stuff just leave nature we should we are just meant to glide through it and absorb the benefits of being there we're not there to change it um and so just leave it and enjoy it and then come back and just be responsible, common sense. And if you don't know something, ask. Yeah, and I think,
1: you know, just to end this part of the conversation, because we're already kind of over time, as it were, just, I think, you know, you mentioned Surface Against Sewage and Trash-Free Trails, and, you know, these are organizations who, they do volunteer days, they have loads of information online. Mm. So it's so easy and accessible to go and find it. And, hey, you know, that would be a great Sunday, you know, a few times a year is just going out with a group of like-minded people and going to the pub at the end after having filled three bags with, crap on the beach yeah you know so anyway i i really wanted to ask you i'm just gonna there's no skill in this interview technique right now i'm just gonna jump into something that i really wanted to ask you when i was doing my research for this conversation i saw something that you posted on social media saying that you'd only done you'd only done one big adventure last year and you kind of regretted it and i'm I, just, I, I want to understand your headspace. You know, I'm a, I'm a lucky boy. I get to go on lots of cool trips. But I'm just a bit of personal stuff. I'm a new dad, and I'm really kind of every second of outdoor time is precious right now. How can you have a year with only one big adventure and regret it?
0: I know. I, I, and after I posted, a lot of people have come up to me and said stuff. And I've had lovely things. I've had some people criticize me. Some people preach to me. I had a girl that I gave a gold Duke of Edinburgh Award to at Buckingham Palace just sent me an email saying, by the way, what you do inspires me, which was amazing to have this girl that I spoke to speaking back to me. But it was just I had I just had a difficult year last year mentally not from an adventure point of view, just from other things going on in personal life Um, and it kind of I just was a bit depressed. I think I was unhappy, and the adventure across like America was phenomenal. Cycling New York to. But you know, it's the same. When I was running, I ran, 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 and then suddenly running was kind of easy. Then I kind of went into cycling, and I've cycled, 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 and now cycling was like, it's again. And you start in New York, you, and I already know I'm going to get to San Francisco. And I'm like seeking to make that journey more difficult, just to be because I just know what I'm doing. So now I'm going back to running because I've 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 lost my running. So I'm back to rediscovering the running thing. And then so I think and then just just what happened was I did the cycle. I loved the cycle. Every minute it was amazing. And I go back and watch the videos to see how happy I was doing it. And then just life took that bit away from me. And then I didn't allow myself to process the adventure. So, and I think I'd also I'm just very hard on myself.
1: Why do you think that is? Why are you so hard on yourself?
0: I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's just something in me. Like I've t- I, I've said this before, but like I think a lot of people, and there's like big there's like groups, community groups are like, yeah, you should quit your job and do adventures, and you'll be happy, and da da da, life will be amazing. That's not. It's not going to work. If you've got something. If there's something, I don't want to say structurally wrong with you, or you've got like a demon or something like that, that demon probably will stay with you forever. I know it's a very negative way of looking at it, but you can learn how to manage it. You know how to deal with it. You can learn the signs of when it's playing up. And um, an adventure is an amazing way of doing that. But I think we just have to find a way of being happy. And like adventure is an amazing way for me to be happy, and I love the unknown qualities of just being out there and never knowing what's around the corner. And I like that in life. I don't know what's happening next year. I don't know what's happening the year after. I don't plan. But that's not going to make everyone happy. Some people are going to find that the the kind of the comfort of society and living it. That oh, was why so many people live in towns. They love being around people. They love. They, so everyone's different. So I just think I'm hard on myself because it's just who i am and it's and i don't it's not a negative thing i don't see it as a negative thing maybe i should take time and i'm writing a book and i'm taking time to actually go like i actually did that that's insane and it's good to every once in a while like we haven't talked about any of the events i've done today really (laughs) no sorry anyone who's listening to this No, i
1: know and it was partly conscious i mean i i hope actually we could do another one of these one day and talk through those but Um, maybe I should just stop limiting these to an hour and just do what the, you know, the Joe Rogans of this world do and talk for, but I was, I hope you do not take this the wrong way. I was sort of hoping that's what you were going to say, because I think it's quite a positive thing and I won't make this about me, but I'm very similar. I'm very hard on myself. I'm very up and down. And I find that adventure time in the outdoors, whatever you want to call it is for me, the ultimate therapist, but it's not the answer as such to everything. I still have to deal with everything else. It's, it's, maybe it's an escape. Maybe it's a place to go and learn. But I just think it's an important thing to hear somebody like you who lived this life for so long and now lives this life doing something completely different, that it wasn't just the ultimate cure, but, and correct me if I'm wrong, you are a happier, healthier, more rounded person as a result.
0: 100%. And actually, now I look back. So what got me into adventuring was what the people were doing so that really amazed me i was thinking about this last night i was thinking now who do i admire in the adventure world and the people i admire are the the people with work ethic they're the people i admire not the people who go off and do amazing things don't care about that everyone anyone can go off and do an amazing thing but it's the people who manage to create a life like the mark beaumonts and the sean conways and those kind of people um the jenny tufts you know the people who work, having a a successful life, not just a good adventure, a successful life with a partner, raising a kid, writing a book, planning something new, inspiring people, managing to do all of that all the time is like, that's who we should be looking up. That's why we should be looking up to these people, not because they cycle around the world quicker than anyone else. It's the work ethic that made them do that, got them to do that. That's what we should be admiring, um, and that's by like motivation. This year, it's like I need to be more like that because um, I know I can go and do the other stuff. It's about being able to do it in a rounded, balanced, supported way where you're happy, content, fulfilled. Because that's what I wanted in two thousand and fourteen, and it's still what I want now. And like, there's always work that can be done to get there
1: so nice yeah it makes sense to me so um you know we're well over time and then um, i always end these podcasts asking the same two questions and i'll ask them to you now if you've listened to one then you might have this prepared which is naughty but then um, what's
0: <laughs> what scares you um wow what scares me i don't know it's really weird because i kind of like probably being alone at the moment it never used to be. I always loved being alone. Like, I now want, I want to love and be loved. There we go. And if I can't have, but and then again, the other thing that scares me is not being able to be active and not like, not being able to think. Those are the things that really scare me. Like, if I wasn't able to move and do things or think and create, that that scares me. And what brings you hope? I don't know where the alone thing... I don't think where the alone thing came from. That's just complete left field, never mind.
1: But it's something to dwell on, maybe. Yeah. Um, What brings you hope?
0: I think the fact that I've traveled around the world and never had a bad... Like, seeing that every single human being, no matter who they are, wants to help other people somehow. We are... Humans are good. And that gives me hope. And, like... We're, we're, pe- things change, views change, but we all support each other somehow. And there are some bad eggs, but as a general species of animal, we are good thing, good people. So that gives me hope. And yeah, I love the fact that we all our, our my generation are all like hooked on their mobile phones all the time, and actually watch some of the younger people and they're not they're shunning it a bit because they can see it's bad, and it's like. They're, they're already, they're auto-correcting for us. And like, we're, we're, we're done. We're like sitting there on our phones 24-7 posting our breakfast, but the younger generation are like, oh, this is just so not cool. And like, so Therefore, we are an evolving species that will, yeah, I don't
1: know. No, it's a great answer. Thank you very much. We'll leave it there.
0: Thank you very much. It's been really fun. I really like having a kind of a talk like an adventure.
1: thanks for listening for more information visit the adventure podcast at co.uk if you want to get in touch then I have a new email address matt at terra finally please do leave us a review on iTunes they're immensely helpful and help us reach a wider audience